Hello and welcome to Voices in Innovation from GigaOM. I am your host, Johnny Baldersberger, and today I am joined by Michael Delzer. Hi, Michael. Pleasure to meet you again. Or talk to you again. Yeah. So, uh, look, it's been a couple of weeks since we've uh, had a show, and it's simply because we've been putting out a lot of radars. Uh, now, the radars are really vendor specific. We dive into specific enterprises and what they're doing. And uh, that's not the purpose of this show. However, we are launching a webinar uh, aspect, a syndicated webinar uh, that'll be fairly regular in which we'll go over some of those aspects from the radar. However, this show, Voices in Innovation, mm -hmm. is more about uh, the key criteria. It's about the technology. And uh, yesterday we released a new key criteria report. Uh, from Michael and uh, our VP of research, John Collins, called the key criteria for evaluating low-code, no-code solutions. Now, um, I you know I was giving this uh, this report a read earlier today, and I couldn't help but think of I believe it was Adobe Dreamweaver. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, which was around right when I was learning how to code that that popped into existence and I was like well why do I need to learn to code there's a I can just I can just tool. drop I can just drop MS uh MS paint art into this and it'll build a website for me so uh is is that what uh I guess that would be no code um mm -hmm. but would you tell us a little bit about no codes versus low code and um how it exists in the marketplace, what it is today. Yeah. Um, so low code is a rapidly growing um, market space. It literally is designed for people who are business unit experts. They know their business process, but they have no formal training in writing code. Um, they don't know Java versus um, COBOL. Um, they, they do know their business and they know that uh, for this business flow to, to be successful, I need to do these steps, these orders, and these systems have this data. No code allows those people to actually create their own application to create a single place for them to solve a business problem. So instead of them going to SAP to get a piece of data, going to Salesforce to get a piece of data, going to an inventory management system to get a piece of data, they can build their own app that goes to all these things on the backside, presents them one single view that they can um, quickly process invoices or create a, um, a kind of a work order for a um, person to deliver product with. Uh, so a lot of the people have used this kind of no code, have done things that um, have been paper-based before. So in the past, someone may have had a paper uh, form. They gave each one of the drivers, and the drivers would take that, and they would check off uh, products that say delivered to the stores. Um, this now replaces that. They now just have an iPad or some other sort of um, cell phone, and they electronically just check these um, things off when they do it. It immediately checks it into the inventory system. If for some reason someone wants to have two more boxes of something than they originally requested, they can make that change immediately on the site. Um, and the back-end processing to invoice that customer um, could be automated. So it's uh, the low-code specifically going after the things that have physically been paper-based products before, um, and the low-code are going for complex um, processes uh, like approving a loan, uh, um, a, a filing a claim for insurance, 
so one of the companies that's um, using something in the, the low-code space is literally a company that only has like a few, maybe 10 or 20 employees, but they're competing against Geico and Progressive um, because they've automated a lot of the processes that required Geico and Progressive. They have tons of staff to process um, new orders, uh, claims, um, all the paperwork associated with the claim and paying the, the various um, car repair shops, whatnot. So all that has now been automated. So only the rare exception does a human have to ever process. It's like one out of every thousand cases a human touches. So that massively lets them have a, a leaner staff and provide the same kind of value you get out of Geico and Progressive, um, but without the cost burden that Geico and Progressive have with their legacy systems. You know, I've always said the problem with insurance is there's too much humanity and personal uh investment in it uh but no you know it's really interesting seeing how uh the drudgery you know the the things that we need to do but no one wants to do are being automated Uh, while you were talking i thought of uh wordpress uh which is you know like 90 percent of the internet is powered by wordpress and uh you know with all the add-ins and everything you can add in, it can definitely be a no-code solution for building a website, but it can also be a low-code solution. Or in the case of GigaOM with our uh, engineer, Jamie, it can be a every day is a code-filled nightmare solution. Uh- <laughs> well, and, and, and WordPress, uh, WordPress is, is kind of a, a classic example of um, both the advantage and disadvantage of a product. Mm-hmm. It's the most hacked product in the world. Uh, somewhere around 80% of the um, uh, um, kind of events that the um, CIA and FBI track on a daily basis are um, um, sites either oriented to or specifically on WordPress. Mm -hmm. So um, it's very popular, but it's also changing so fastly, so fast that trying to maintain it becomes a problem. Right. Uh, um, Because they work on, uh, some of the people who submit stuff to WordPress work on two week sprints so something could get fixed every two weeks or changed every two weeks, um, which means that the ability for someone to have coded something that worked with something four weeks ago could suddenly break because they'd figured out the proper way of talking to a bad design. Well, now you fixed the bad design. Now they're broken because they're trying to fix your old bad design. Uh, mm-hmm. So it becomes a stability problem. So one of the things that the low code and no code vendors are doing is trying to um, provide kind of a walled garden uh, so you have the ability to get that kind of functionality, but you've now outsourced the maintenance of that WordPress to them. So they're effectively providing you a managed version of WordPress where all the headaches of making sure WordPress is functionally working is their problem, um, allowing you to have um, uh, content people directly putting content directly into WordPress without having to worry about um, how to manage the code or how to manage the content. Uh, but also lets people who uh, want to integrate WordPress into um, a CRM systems that can track um, users and uh, viewers and uh, try to engage the customer better. Uh, so you can do those kind of more complex processes. Um, and so that's kind of what these low-code, no-code vendors are trying to do is provide you a way of getting this back-end functionality like you have with WordPress or with uh, Dreamweaver, um, but where the um, code is running on their servers and they're maintaining that complexity, uh, freeing you up to just have a pleasant experience of developing a 
a graphical website, a graphical form, um, solving some sort of business problem without having to worry about, um, you know, uh, does uh, do I need to put a semicolon here or a dash? Uh, how many characters over can I go? Um, all that kind of mundane stuff um, uh, is abstracted from you uh, for the price of um, that no-code or low-code product. Now, it's interesting, Michael, because so much of what we do at GigaOM is geared towards highly technical enterprises. Mm -hmm. uh, the people that are building uh, new forms of code, uh, mm -hmm. the people that are designing cutting edge applications and new technology. Mm -hmm. Yet here, this is a, uh, this appears to me at least to be a, uh, a technology that's geared more towards other industries, industries that, uh, you know, don't want to be bogged down in uh, trying to build the technology and just want to go, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I call them end-user companies. So they're mm -hmm. not building technology to sell it to somebody else. They're consuming technology to provide a service or a product uh, to um, others. So like an airline or an insurance company, they're not building technology. They're providing either a, an insurance service, an airline service. Uh, you know, Airbnb is providing you a, a hotel uh, booking or a, a lodging, whatever you want to refer to that um, rent-a-stay uh, process. Um, so it's good in that space. Um, the thing it does do, even for larger companies, is their developers now can focus on the business problem and not um, the minutia of the code behind it. So in the older days of Java, we started having Java frameworks that would give you quick ways of creating applications in Java. Um, that meant my developers were really working on how to solve a problem, not how to get this funky little construct of like a memory lookup to work correctly. Um, so a lot of that backend stuff got abstracted um, in frameworks in codes like Java and C Sharp and uh, um, you know, other uh, frameworks. Um, that's now being extended a little bit further um, into these low-code um, solutions where you you still have developers that have to work on them, uh, but they're now working on actually the business logic and not the backend logic on how to connect to an Oracle database um, or how to make uh, obtain a cache. Uh, so all these kind of funky things that um, used to chew up a lot of time and had a lot of errors in them uh, are now abstracted by these low-code providers, freeing up your developers to focus um, on just building uh, business functionality. Uh, that's kind of where the big value becomes. I, again, this is a really fascinating technology to me personally, and I, I definitely see the, the incredible uh, versatility and the myriad of use cases that uh, could go into both no-code and low-code. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the actual report. Okay. Um, you know, we're talking about, with key criteria, as always, identifying the table stakes, identifying the key criteria, and then taking a look at the future and what's coming out. Uh, table stakes. This is what a solution must have to be viable. Uh, and these I'm giving away. These away I'm giving away for free. We're not going to go over all the key criteria emerging tech because we, we do want you to go and uh, subscribe to the research. But table stakes, uh, GUI-based development, platform integrations, workflow and data management, mobile support, and customization capabilities. Now, a lot of this is very... Uh, 
self-explanatory. Obviously, you want customizability. You want to be able to make it fit your use case. Um, platform integration, I think, is pretty pretty easy to understand, too. You want it to work with whatever you're already using. Uh, mobile support, I don't think we need to go too far into that because, again, it's... I don't know anyone that doesn't do their job from their phone these days. So that leaves us with GUI-based development and workflow and data management. Can you go into those a little bit for me? Yeah. So one of the things, um, your, your example of Dreamweaver earlier on, the idea of being able to um, go to a kind of a pane of glass and draw up either my, what my form needs to look like um, or model up the, that I need to do this step, then this step, this step, the ability to visually arrange that um, is a key aspect of low code and no code. Um, because what that does is it separates you from having to understand the coding responsibilities to actually achieve that either graphical output or that series of steps. So it is the thing by itself that um, magically kind of elevates this thing from uh, being uh, basically a a great waste of time. Uh, so because of this graphical interface, you have the ability to quickly say, this is what I want to do. Um, so even in low code, where it's still a professional developer, because of this graphical interface, they can exp um, work side by side with a business unit, um, a um, kind of a, a pro of that group, whether it be a sales leader or someone in marketing or house or whatever that process is, they can sit side by side. And because it's graphical, the person who's not a programmer can understand exactly what's happening. They can say, oh, no, we need to do this step, then this step. Or the form needs to look like this um, because we're trying to get it to look like the paper that we're currently using. Or it's a government form, and we need it to look like that government form for it to be um, considered legit. Um, uh, so it lets you have that kind of dialogue. The other one about workflow and data management. So again, the entire point for uh, low code or no code is to try to take a paper-based process or something that has tons of people going to different computer screens, like I'm going into Salesforce, I'm going into SAP, I'm going into a warehouse system, I'm going into an order management system, and I'm cutting and pasting between these different applications, or I'm um, getting stuff out of SAP, dropping into Excel, manipulating Excel, then pumping it into another product or even more so I'm pumping it back into SAP. Um, so those kind of processes are what it um, helps you do, but for that to be effective, it needs to have some ability to show that workflow. You know, that um, this step leads to this step, this thing connects to this thing. Um, and the data management is the fact that um, I need to be able to do this securely. Um, so that uh, when I'm connecting to SAP to get um, to process a million dollar order, that there are controls in there that knows who is able to process that. Um, if I'm processing personal personally identifiable information, um, known as PII, uh, it's like your telephone number, your address, your name. Uh, and I'm in a regulated industry where I can't I have to be very careful about that. Um, this data management allows you to put those kind of controls in so that that data is secure. So um, if I'm dealing with European, European Union citizens, uh, I should just say EU, <laughs> um, that I can basically protect their data and be compliant with those rules. And my data management uh, platform logic can also force that data to only live in the EU. So I don't bring European data into the United States 
um, where it becomes a violation. Uh, so that's the reason why those are kind of table stakes because um, without the ability to protect the data and the ability to um, track workflows, um, uh, you don't have a viable product. Um, you have um, uh, basically the, the worst aspects of WordPress. <laughs> and let's be fair, uh, as great as WordPress press as great as WordPress can be, the worst aspects of WordPress are not fantastic. Um, in key criteria, there are several different uh, aspects that I think are pretty uh, self-explanatory when you get into them. Uh, they make sense. You can look at them and say, oh, obviously this is something that would be incredible for this sort of solution. Um, the the one that I don't really understand, and the one we'll go into, because uh, we're running short on time already. It's so fast when you're having fun. Uh, Off-the-shelf workflows. Can you explain that for me? So one of the things that the low-code, no-code vendors have done a lot, and they some of these have been around uh, since the turn of the century. So these common things that a lot of companies do, like onboarding an employee, um, they're common across all industries. So what they've done is they started prepackaging these things as off-the-shelf flows. So um, the common steps on hiring someone, the common steps on, uh, um, you know, getting them a, a, a workspace, a um, either a computer or a laptop, a cell phone number, a business cards, any of those kind of steps, those are kind of common. So they've built um, these kind of off-the-shelf workflows where you can basically go through a list of things and say, ah, oh, I need this. I need to do an order entry. I need to do um, a, a sales um, request. I need to do a purchase request. I need to do a, a COVID request, which is some of the new ones. Um, so they've pre-built these things. So instead of you having to figure out the entire logic on how to do um, COVID reporting for people coming back onto your um, campus site or into your office, um, that kind of stuff has been pre kind of pre-thought out for you and kind of pre-baked by the community. So um, you don't have the risk of knowing, not knowing what you don't know because you're basically leveraging the community and the history of that low-code or no-code provider in kind of pre-fixing um, the common errors in these kind of flows. And it speeds up time. So instead of you trying to um, uh, get everyone in the office together to try to figure out exactly how we actually process the sales order, someone may have already done something close to it. And so instead of coming from scratch, you can basically take a off-the-shelf one tweak it for what you need, which is the customizability piece, but that massively saves time because very few things in the world are totally unique. Absolutely. Um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about on the show about how you always need to look for the solution that's right for you. Um, and, we, you know, we covered that with customizability, but you're right. There's uh, with infinite number of companies that exist in the world and infinite people looking for solutions, uh, we are in kind of a situation where we have an infinite number of monkeys uh, typing code on an infinite number of uh, computers. And so I'm sure the solution for you exists out there. Um, there's more key criteria, but... I want to go ahead. I've been, I'm kind of it. Look, I'm, Michael, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been waiting the entire time just to talk about virtual reality. It's, it's one of my favorite things. Um, anyone who's listened to the show enough or knows me personally knows that I am a huge nerd. Uh, a few years back, I got hit by a car 
and I use the settlement to buy a virtual reality rig because I spend my money wisely. Um, <laughs> it's such a uh, virtual reality and augmented reality, both are incredible tools for training, for interaction. Um, I think that the, the use cases going forward are kind of infinite. Uh, the things that we're going to end up using virtual reality and augmented reality for going forward, it's going to change probably everything, in my humble opinion. How does virtual reality and augmented reality, VR and AR, play into low-code, no-code? Well, um, what's really cool is, is several vendors have figured out a way of taking the really complex aspects of doing um, any type of um, any of these reality um, variations, virtual, augmented, mixed, and linking that into their, their process. Some, it's because I want to sell you something and I want you to be able to see what that's going to look like on you or in your house, like an, a furniture sales store. And I want you to show you what this couch is going to look like actually in your house. Um, so you have big people like that have done that. But we've also had another company that's done something really cool because they built their system on a game engine as opposed to a normal compute type engine. They can actually do three-dimensional and one of their use cases was to create a button that employees could wear um, that locates them within six feet. Uh, um, and why that's important in a really large hotel like um, uh, the ones you have in like Las Vegas that have like 40 um, or more stores, stories, uh, the ability for you to find an employee or to find a device. So I'm trying to find a projector for a conference room. Um, I have a maid that's gone missing. Uh, um, in the past, um, you didn't really have a great way of finding them. Uh, um, this allows, and there's actually a, apparently a huge in, uh, issue with people um, abusing hotel staff. Um, so this allows them to be quickly located uh, within six feet. And because this is using a game engine and three-dimensionality, um, they can quickly figure out where the person is. They can map that person um, in movement. So if that person is being abducted, they can actually tell the security people where to go because they know where the, the people are traveling. Uh, uh, and they can coordinate that with the, the um, cameras in the hotel. So they've done some really, something really cool by taking a business problem of locating people or equipment and mixing virtual reality into it so they can understand where um, is Waldo in my hotel. Um, which is an incredibly neat um, concept. Um, one of the other ones is, again, like you were saying, the ability to do training. Uh, so the ability to actually see something in, uh, either in virtual reality, mixed reality. So if I'm a, a mechanic trying to repair something, the ability to see what it's supposed to look like, and here's what it actually looks like, and say, ah, this thing is a, um, a it's, it's warped. Um, therefore, this is, this is probably the thing that's gonna be bad. Um, so in the South, we have um, air conditioners and one of the things that happens in air conditioners is this thing that's called a solenoid uh, um, goes out. They typically bulge um, when they fail. So if you can visually see it, you can say, ah, I can do that. And I can go to my local hardware store and get it for like 20 bucks as opposed to paying $300 and waiting several hours for a AC person to come by and fix your uh, little teeny part. And um, as a Texan, let me say, uh, a few hours for the repair guy to come out is excruciating in the dead of summer. Um, you know, I've, man, I'm outing myself. I'm a huge fan of the the uh, mechanic and repair simulator games mm -hmm. uh, because there's something so zen-like about them. But also, it's, it's really fascinating to see 
uh, you know, I don't have any mechanical experience. I, I've never worked on cars, but it's interesting to get in there and, and see these things and to start to understand. Again, this is a game. This isn't a training program, mm-hmm. but if it were, it would only need, you know, a half a dozen steps to make it a training program. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just infinitely fascinating to me. Um, and like I said, solutions like this, solutions like low code, no code, uh, it's really, you know, in today's age where everything is digital, where if you don't have an app or, you know, some kind of functionality, you're going to be at a distinct disadvantage compared to companies that do. I, I think it's fantastic that there are solutions like this. Now, the radar will be coming out shortly. Um, I say that, but it, it all depends on the feedback we get from the vendors we talk to. So uh, we're, it will be out as quickly as we can get it out. Uh, and I'm sure it's going to be a fascinating read. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, if you found this interesting, please go check out the other episodes. We go over a lot of different key criteria over a lot of different technologies. You can also go to our website and subscribe to the full body of research and literature that we've written. On top of that, on Fridays on GigOM's YouTube channel, uh, myself, Enrico Signoretti, and Jason Collier uh, go over the tech news of the week. So uh, you can check that out every Friday morning. And I think, I think Michael, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, for GigaOM, I'm Johnny Baldisberger, and this has been Voices in Innovation. Just listen.